Welcome back to Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. This episode is a solo episode, and I'll be covering one of the minor appearances, as in just a few panel cameo, of Adam Warlock in the pages of Captain Marvel. This is the issue I was talking about trying to record when I did the no-episode mini-episode a few weeks ago. Now, I'm not done with doing this one yet, but so far it does feel a lot better than when I tried to record it last time, so I'm hoping this will come out a lot better. Okay, since I'm doing a solo, we don't have to introduce anyone else, so let's not waste any time. I'm going to play a promo for another show, and then we're going to start our synopsis. It started as an idea. A flicker. Now with a simple voice email to the Superman and the Bronze Age podcast, that flicker has become a flame. Now, Russell, you're ready to start a podcast. Yep, you're ready to go. Yes, start it, and then and then we can email you. Whoa. And Russell has been, you know, the most consistent emailer. I think it's time that he does start a show. DC Comics Presents. You know, after Dave's done, and, I mean, you're not covering every, every issue. So, he could do all of them. I would highly recommend that, actually. That would be awesome. So, there you go, Russell. Go for it. I can't wait to hear his reaction to this. this <laughs> well, boys, here's your response. The DC Comics Presents show, hosted by me, Russell Bragg. On each episode, I will cover one issue of DC Comics Presents in publishing order until I reach the end of the series. I will also be covering all four annuals, plus I will be doing a character spotlight on each of Superman's guest stars, and I will be going to the spinner rack to see what other comic books were available. Join me each episode of... The DC Comics Presents Show. Please go to the show's website at www.dccpshow.com for more information. That's DCCPSHOW. Captain Marvel 39 The Trial of the Watcher. Written by Steve Englehart and Al Milgram. Penciled by Al Milgram. Inked by Klaus Janssen. Colors Phil Rachelson. Lettered by June Braverman and Gaspar Saladino. Cover art is by Al Milgram. Editor, Len Wein. Cover dated July 1975. On sale date, April 15th, 1975, with a cover price of 25 cents. You can find this issue reprinted in Marvel Masterworks Captain Marvel Hardcover, Volume 4, Essential Captain Marvel Trade Paperback, Volume 2, and digitally on Comixology and Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. Let's start the synopsis with the cover. We have Marvell fighting against what looks like a giant mountain lion with Kirby Crackle coming out of its head. Behind them is a Watcher. He calls himself The Watcher, but I'm pretty sure based on what we will see inside the issue and the outfit he's wearing, that this is not Uatu. This Watcher is proclaiming, Attack Mad-Eye, slay the one called Marvell at the command of The Watcher. The cover blurb on the bottom promises we will find out the fate of The Watcher and the deadly verdict. Spoiler, the verdict ain't gonna be too deadly. Just saying. Inside on the splash page, we have Marvell being pulled through space by a purple beam and heading for a planet. It is a teleportation beam that is taking him to the trial of the Watcher. He lands on what looks like a lush jungle world right behind three Watchers. Our own Watu, along with Atul and Ingu. The Watchers are not too happy with his presence, as they only want those of their own race there. Marvell insists on speaking on Uatu's behalf, so they put him in stasis. They then teleport away, though not before blaming Owatu for this intrusion. Marvell and Rick Jones have a psychic conversation and decide it's worth trying to force their transformation. Remember, at this point, Rick Jones and Marvell are bonded by the Negabands. While one of them is on Earth, the other has hanging out in the negative zone until they bang the bands together and switch. 
Anyway, they're able to psychically force the transformation, and that happening inside the stasis field causes an impressive explosion. While this all happens, they are spied on by both a young watcher named Aaron and one of the native animals, a rat cat named Mad-Eye. Yep, same Mad-Eye is on the cover, though instead of looking like a large mountain lion with Kirby Crackle, he's a large mountain lion with horns on his head, like a deer. Anyway, the plan works, better than they had hoped. Not only are they freed the stasis field, but both Marvel and Rick are standing together. Mad-Eye is upset. Here on the world of the Watchers, men are not so small and hairy, nor do they burst with light and become two. For the first time since he was a tiny cub, Mad-Eye is angry. And Mad-Eye attacks. Meanwhile, some distance away, Uatu stands before a large group of other Watchers. He has summoned them there because he has broken their most sacred law and awaits their judgment. To do so, they will need the Temple of Judgment. He takes out what looks like a large circuit board and pulls it apart, creating an impressive firework display. Back to our main characters, Marvel has been fighting Mad-Eye until the large space cat's antlers start turning into Kirby Crackle, like on the cover. Not knowing what this means, and not wanting to find out, Marvel is able to knock out the animal. He then flies off, carrying Rick to find the Watcher. Left behind, Mad-Eye wakes up, and still feeling anger, follows their trail, being followed himself by Aaron. Rick and Marvel find the large firework display created by Uatu, though there is no trace of any of the Watchers that were there before. They fly through the fireworks and enter what must be the Watcher's Temple of Judgment. It is a large auditorium filled with Watchers. In the center is a stage with only two Watchers on it, one of which is our own Uatu. All over this building, we can see Kirby-inspired architecture, equipment, and statues. Rick and Marvel face the two Watchers on the stage, and Marvel again insists on speaking. It is decided that since they are unable to stop him, Marvel will be allowed to stay for the trial. Since he's going to be speaking, they feel that Marvel needs to understand their code. And that means flashback origin story time, Watcher style. Our world and we are ancient, Marvel. Ages agone, we found perfection in life, immortality. Your Watcher's father declared it our duty to aid those less fortunate. I, Emu, opposed such generosity for selfish reasons, and so was outvoted. We traveled to a distant planet and presented its people with the Atom to heat their homes and cure their sick. But once we left, they perverted their gift and turned it toward power and war. In time, we returned and beheld the result of our pretending to be gods. Though my reason had been wrong, I had been terribly right. And then and there, we all swore never again to interfere with others. Emu would then go on and detail all the times Uatu interfered with events on Earth, and a few times he could have, but didn't get involved. These include the first time the Fantastic Four made it to the moon and fought the Red Ghost and his stupid ape, Super Apes, the first appearance of Galactus in the Silver Surfer, sending Adam Warlock's cocoon back to Earth, and the Avengers Defenders War, among others. The final example was when Uatu apparently fought Captain Marvel. Based on the covers for the series, it must have been in the last few issues. As Emu says, This is not the conduct of a Watcher. Marvel defends Uatu's actions, since he had always acted to aid the Earth, not hurt it, and that Marvel was behaving strange when he entered Uatu's home, so Uatu might have just thought him to be an intruder. 
Marvel goes on to say that there is nothing wrong with Watu feeling friendship towards the FF. The Watchers may have reacted too hasty to that first mistake they made as a race, and should maybe look to Watu as an example. It's at that point that Mad-Eye enters the temple and attacks. Aaron follows Mad-Eye into the temple. He finds Marvel interesting to watch. Rick is annoyed by all the watching going on and begs for someone to help. He implores Uatu as Marvel was trying to help him, but Uatu refuses. Aaron agrees to help, but instead ends up arguing with Emu about it. So Rick decides he will help. He leaps on Mad-Eye's back and gets him in a headlock, despite the large cat trying to throw him off and all the Kirby crackle all over. With Rick's distraction, Marvel is able to knock Mad-Eye out with the Nega Bands. Marvel then tries to use this as an example to the audience of watchers, that unless they see his life as a bad thing, it was good that Rick interfered and helped save it. He suggests they could do the same and act to help. With careful consideration first, of course. Emu is concerned about the trauma their presence could bring to a race like humanity, and also about the reactions to their actions, and the reactions to that, and so on and so on. To him, and by extension I assume the Watchers as a race, all that happens is not good or bad, just true. If they get involved, they might lose sight of that truth. Uatu agrees and says he has learned his lesson, which is apparently enough for Emu to forgive him. Rick is confused. All Uatu had to say was he would be good from now on and that's it? Apparently, it is. So let's talk a bit about this issue. First of all, the cover. Pretty exciting. I like it. Captain Marvel vs. Mad-Eye looks great, and the Watcher overseeing the battle is dramatic. But it does feel like a bit of a cheat, as the story inside does not really match the energy and mood shown here. The splash page is good, though. I like how Marvel looks, and under the title of the story, out in space, we have what looks like strange asteroids that are all the same size. But I don't think those are asteroids. I think those are supposed to be the other Watchers coming in for the trial. Going through the next few pages, I really do like Milgram's Captain Marvel. It's really good. But his watchers seem to be just a bit too short and squat for me. Alright, jumping forward to where Mad-Eye first is attacking Rick and Marvel. It's a little funny because the caption basically says that he's upset because these are not like the watchers that he's used to seeing on the planet. You know, they're not so short and hairy and they don't burst into light and turn into two. Well, in about two pages, the watchers are going to have a big burst of light and all disappear. But I guess Mad-Eye has never seen that before because otherwise he'd probably be freaked the hell out by that. Speaking of the Temple of Judgment, the two-page spread showing the inside of that is pretty damn impressive. We only really see the heads of the Watchers sitting inside, so those look fine. But the really cool thing is that Milgram and Jansen really get their Kirby on. Like I said in the synopsis, the design, the machines, and the statues are all Kirby-inspired, and they are done well. And now in the middle here, we get to the two reasons we're covering this issue. Adam Warlock's cameo, and the list of Watchers' crimes of interfering. So let's start off with the list of crimes. Let's count them out, shall we? First, we have when he reveals himself to the Fantastic Four in his first appearance. I just looked at that issue. He didn't have to do that. That's one for interfering. Helping them out against the Malku Man. That's two. Teleporting them to the moon in Fantastic Four number 29. That's three. He watched the Avengers fly into space and didn't do anything. Okay, one for non-interference. He helped the torch in the thing against Kang. Four for interfering, and then number five is helping during Reed and Sue's wedding. The first Galactus story. Trying to hide the Earth, debating Galactus, and sending the Human Torch to find the ultimate nullifier. Six, seven, eight. There apparently was another time with the Surfer when the Watcher showed up and did nothing. So, two for non. We're up to his involvement now with Adam Warlock, but we'll skip that for the moment and come back to it after we count the others. Helping the FF against the Overmind is nine for interfering. 
The next time is with the Avengers, where he apparently helped them, but sneakily. It's not clear if they're calling this interfering or not, but I say if he helped at all, it's interfering, so that's 10. The Avengers Defenders War, which we covered in episodes 31 and 33 here. He just watched. Did nothing. Good for him. Non number three. Since then, he's apparently helped out the FF and Avengers and fought Marvel, so that's 11 to 13 for interfering. Back to Adam Warlock now. This is what Emu says about that. When he returned a star-lost cocoon to its native Earth, where it burst and disgorged him, now Adam Warlock, he said nothing at all. By the way, this was from Thor. This was part of a story that took place from Thor 163 to 166, which we covered in episodes three to six. This was supposed to be an example of non-interference, and if that's true, then that would make the score 13 to four, and non-interference still a big loser. I'm a bit confused about calling it non-interference. Even just by what was shown in the panel here, it gives no reason why he had to send a cocoon to Earth. It gives no reason why he had to get involved. So isn't that interfering? Now if we actually go look at the source, which was specifically Thor 165, we see Uatu had created a space trap to catch asteroids to study them. It had accidentally caught Adam's cocoon, and that once he saw it, Uatu sent it back to Earth. So that looks to me like he interfered in its course drifting through space, accidentally but still, and then sent it, intentionally, to a destination. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like interfering to me. As for the rest of the issue, after seeing Emu's argument against Marvel's plea, which is that he's like asking the Watchers to try and help again, my opinion of the Watchers is that they're just scared. Like Emu says, it's not so much the repercussions of their actions they're concerned with, it's the repercussions to the repercussions to the repercussions of their actions that they're concerned with. In my opinion, it is an extreme overreaction to a first mistake. Yeah, it was a horrible one, but maybe they could decide to just scale it back a bit the second time they helped, instead of just going, hey, underdeveloped culture, here's atomic energy, have fun. <laughs> instead, all they do is just watch for no reason. That's all they do. Watch. It's not even like they're recording this all for someone's benefit. You know, to benefit the knowledge of this. At least not that they tell us here. They're just watching the watch. It's because they're scared. Of, well, I'd say the world, but actually for them it's scared of the universe. It's kind of sad. I'd be for sad for Watu too, since he says he's going to be a good little watcher at the end. But, well, quite frankly, you and I both know that is not true. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren of the Rad Adventures Network. We're a married couple who enjoy great stories of all kinds, including adventures, mysteries, science fiction, and fantasy. Please join us for a variety of podcasts focused on a range of pop culture topics. Trekker Talk is about 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the comic Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall. It's a blend of classic sci-fi adventures and noir mysteries set in a retro future. Xenozoic Xenophiles is about the comic Xenozoic Tales by writer and artist Mark Schultz. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Warlord Worlds covers the many comics of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, Green Arrow, and The Legion of Superheroes. Sensational Sluice, where we talk about favorite mystery novels, movies, and TV shows. Fantastic Fantasies, where we share our favorite fantasy films and books. 
and amazing adventures where we discuss action-packed adventure stories. Listen on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or visit RadAdventuresNetwork.com to find all of our shows and links to our social media pages. That's Rad, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren. It's feedback time again, that time of the show where we talk about any feedback we may have received as well as what people have liked and shared our show on social media. It's always appreciated to get feedback and it's also appreciated and helped when you share the show on social media. Helps other people find it. We are talking specifically about last episode, episode 77, our Infinity War movie special. On Facebook, this episode was liked and shared by Roger Castle III, GeekPod, Jason Venable, Pat Sampson, Ryan Daly, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, Mike Peacock, Robert Myers, Gene Hendricks, Comic Conversation, and Joe Sedano. On Twitter, it was retweeted and liked by Dan O, MCU Feld, Paul Showens, Negasonic 20-something Warhead, Comics in the Golden Age, Christian and Damon's Amazing Nerd Show, Damon, John M. Wilson is podcasting again, When the Old Gods Died, There Rose the New Gods, Fernando Sanchez, Chronosphere Fiction, Kill Chuckle KCW. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Actually, sorry that I am mispronouncing that. There's no if. <laughs> Alex's Comic Rant. The Moral Low Ground. Robert Lewis. Ryan Daly. Awesome Dude. Carrie Northrop. Carl George. Rolled Spine Podcasts. Into the Weird. Illegal Machine. Gord Tolton. Dr. G Nerdologist. Long Box of Darkness. Rift. Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast. D. And Jason Snick Venable. I just want to thank a few more people who have been following our p- Tumblr page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. So thank you to Sarkos, Jimmy Horatio, Omnipotent77, Eclipse Rising the Saga, and Chris Evans Citadel. Now, if you'd like to help the show, or just want to have that slight ego boost of hearing your name said out loud here on the show, you can do what these fine folks did. Go to our Facebook page and like it, and then you'll see the new episodes, and you can like those. Just type in... Adam Warlock or Thanos, we pop in the search box. We pop up pretty high up on that list. Like I said, the Tumblr page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. You like the episodes there? Send us an email, of course, with your thoughts. I want to know what you thought about this episode, and specifically this issue of Captain Marvel, The Trial of the Watcher. What did you think? Do you agree with the Watchers, or do you agree with me that they're just scared? Or a different opinion? And more importantly, what do you think about Mad-Eye, the Rat Cat, with the Kirby Crackle Horns? Resurrections Podcast at Yahoo.com. And of course, you can always go follow us on Twitter at Adam Thanos Pod. You could like and retweet the episodes on there or just talk about comics to us on there. In fact, I just had some recent conversations in the last week or two with two new followers, Steve and the MCDC Podcast. It was a lot of fun talking to those guys. Hope to do with more of you soon. All right, well, now we're up to the Friends and Enemies section of the show. And in case for some reason this is your first episode, episode you're listening to in the friends and enemies section we go through the other comics that we've talked about on the show in the past and we see where they were in this month this month being july 1975 and since i was doing the episode by myself this time and i didn't have a co-host with me i dragged in i mean i have a guest host my wife kim and our dog doyle say hello puppy okay so first up we have avengers number 137 we Do Seek Out New Avengers, by Steve Englehart, George Tuska, and Vince Coletta. The Avengers place an open call for new members to refill their ranks after the death of the Swordsman and the Honeymooning Vision and Scarlet Witch. Their additions for new members are derailed by the return of an old foe. 
That's Big hairy the purple monster. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think, dog? Big hairy purple monster? You're colorblind. You have no idea. I don't think puppy cares. Okay. That it? That's pretty much it. Daredevil, number one, two, three. Holocaust in the Halls of Hydra by Tony Isabella, Bob Brown, and Vince Coletta. The rescue of Foggy concludes as the heroes clash with Hydra. And there's the cover. So let's see, what does it say here? We have It says clockwise from the top. There's that Silvermane, Mankiller, Dreadnought, Blackwing, and the Savage. El, would that be El Jaguar or El Jaguar or El Jaguar? I, I'm not Spanish. I have no idea. Okay. And I, for a second there, I thought that was slime in the middle, but apparently that's some chick chick's hair. Where? You mean right here? Yeah. That's uh, yeah, that's Black Widow. Okay. It looked like slime for a second until I realized <laughs> there was a face underneath it. <laughs> it flows. It's very flowy, her hair. Fantastic Four, number 160, In One World and Out the Other, by Roy Thomas, John Buscema, and Chick Stone. Ben and Lockjaw depart to investigate the abduction of a second thing at the hands of Archon. Meanwhile, Reed sets the Fantastic Four on a new financial course. And for more on this one, listen to Fantastic Cast episode 205. All right, I think Puppy's excited about this one. <laughs> is that because my favorite crazy rock thing is in there? Yep, there's the thing. The thing. What do you think, Puppy? Yeah? There's a flaming sword, too. Mm-hmm. You have no care in the world, do you? He just wants to know where the treats are. <laughs> the Human Torch, number six. Reprints, Torch Stories from Human Torch, 1940, number 38, and Strange Tales, 1951, number 106. Yep, it was just a reprint book. Puppy yep. wants to get on your lap. Come here, buddy. Is that the thing in there or is that an avalanche? No, it's the thing in the back. God, I really hate the graphic with that thing. Well, it's scans of old, co- you know, 40-year-old covers. It probably, for something more recent, it'll look a lot better. Although I am amused about the guy getting kicked in the throat, because one arm is blue, one arm is red, so it almost makes it look like something else. And then, additionally, it I see it and I remember those old, the old Batman show with pow, bam, whap. Yes, I said whap, dog. <laughs> No, we're not following you, Doyle. He's leaving the room, and he, he keeps looking at us because he wants us to follow him and give him <laughs> treats. The Incredible Hulk, number 189. None Are So Blind, by Len Wein, Herd Trimp, and Joe Staten. Stumbling out of the destroyed base, the Hulk wanders through the snowy Russian country where he stumbles on a blind girl. Befriending her, he must help save her village from mysterious danger. Um... The Incredible Hulk looks like he's kind of crushing that girl. And what are those big bug-eyed things in the back? Those are moloids. They live under the earth. Lovely. Hence why, and can you guess which one is the Mole Man? Mm-hmm. Although I've never seen the Mole Man look that athletic. <laughs> the Mole Man makes me look like I'm in amazing shape. Iron Man, number 76. There Lives a Green Goliath by Archie Goodwin, George Tuska, and Johnny Craig. 
reprint of Iron Man number nine. Obviously, this is a month where a lot of people were not making their deadlines, so they had to put out reprints. <laughs> what? Ah, okay, that's Iron Man. All right. <laughs> oh, now I get it. The whole chasm in that position. Yeah, he's holding on. I was just going, that's a very weird position to be flying and firing in, but now I kind of get it. The Hulk's face does look weird to me, though, here. The Hulk's all weirdly proportioned here, period. And, I mean, I know the Hulk is supposed to be disproportionate in general, but this is just... Like what? What do you mean? Well, like, the arm, one arm looks bigger than the other. And then his feet are just ridiculously huge in comparison to the rest of them. It's just, he just looks out of proportion. Okay. And it, all it makes me want to do with the crack in the building is play Rampage. I think I, I think I want to go see that movie this week. What? Rampage. What movie is that? The one we just talked about. I just said Rampage. I, I, I know that, but what is the movie? Like, what's it about? Did you ever play the video game Rampage? Yeah. Oh, they made a... Okay. Wow, they really are running out of stuff to do. Yeah, but it looks like stupid fun. Like, something you want to go to the theater and oh. go, you know, it's the idiot thing with the popcorn. <sighs> yeah, no, I, and I'm sure, like, Lego movies or whatever, you know, it has its point, but it's just... Well, no, the Lego movie is really good. This is not going to be really good, I'm sure. So, what was that other movie that they did that was sort of a video game, but it wasn't truly based on a video game? Oh, Pixels? They had, like, Pac-Man in it and stuff? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that was supposed to be horrible. Yeah, it might be there. Who knows? Okay. Okay, and finally, we have Thor 237, Ulic Unchained, by Jerry Conway, John Buscema, and Joe Sinnott. Thor helps the cops catch some crooks while Ulic watches. Elsewhere, Judith and Mr. Heath speak to Orn about his power and responsibilities. Back in New York, the trolls begin attacking the surface. While Thor is distracted back battling Ulick, other trolls capture Jane and Thor is forced to surrender. That's a lot of stuff happening. Mm-hmm. And while you're speaking, Puppy did an- yet another rotation. Came over, let me pet him, and then lost interest and decided to walk out of the room. And he keeps doing this. He's just standing outside the door, staring, waiting, hoping we're going to come. You're all done with the treats, dog. I don't know why he keeps thinking that. Well, you know, at least in the old version of drawing Thor, and I don't know if they still draw him this way or not, but, you know, instead of spikes on the helmet, we have lightning, or wings. or Those are wings. Okay. You like the wings or you don't like the wings? I like him better than horns. When he has horns? Well, it's a whole, like... Oh, you mean the generic... Scandinavian... The generic type horns. I wasn't sure you meant... I'm like, what horns are you talking about? That's pretty much what they have him look like in the movie, too. I mean, the, he loses the hel- helmet pretty quickly in that first Thor movie, but he did have it on. Yeah, uh, well, it's Chris Hemsworth. I really wasn't paying attention to what was on his head. <laughs> Let's see. Ah, right, there we go. That's Thor right now. So he still has the wings. Okie dokie. And the costume looks more or less the same, actually. They just modified it a little bit, but mm-hmm. it does look pretty similar to that outfit. Yeah. All right. More of a cape than wings on his back kind of thing. Because in some of those older drawings, his cape, every time it's, you know, docile, it looks like wings. Oh, okay. I see see what you're saying. And a different hammer. Hmm. Well, that's because the first hammer was sold in Supernatural. (laughs) All right. That's it. Anything, thoughts you have on any of these? Did you have any cover you you liked more than the others? No. No. With the old covers, I mean... I can appreciate the artwork to an extent, but with the old covers, they all remind me of 
early Batman shows, and I just always get that bam, wop, pow vision. I don't, you know, I don't find them particularly inspiring. I like I like some of the newer covers a little bit better. Okay, good to know. Although the vintage thing about the old covers is kind of fun. I like the yeah. graphics. That's probably a better way. Like the fonts and the graphics. Oh, yeah. I get a, I really love that about the old covers. I prefer that over the, the new fonts. and. The so like you like this way it says Thor over yeah. this one where it says Thor. for, And we're looking at the uh, Thor number one from this year. And the reason why I like the old one, you know, aside from the vintage thing, it to me there's just something about that. Like the old vintage way of doing those fonts that they did on the old comics, it's like to me that's – that, you get that nostalgic sense of watching old movies and, and okay, you know, whereas yeah. this newer stuff, it's like I see the newer fonts and my mind, instead of going to like a, a great movie, goes to a video game. And that just doesn't hold this, for me, it doesn't kind of hold the same connection or, or fun or whatever. So like, yeah, that one, I can see what you're saying with that. Yeah. I mean, other than my obsession with my... uh solitaire game or my design game I'm not really a big gamer so when the graphics like that one I guess that's supposed to be the hammer is the H-O yeah love the artwork not a big fan of the whole font I like uh I like the old stuff it's like every you know horror movie from that time how they wrote titles oh yeah it killer tomatoes yeah killer clowns critters night of the lemurs Lemurs? Oh, Lepus. I thought it was lemurs. No, it's not lemurs. You're right. Lemurs are what you, my papillon dogs used to look like. Never mind. Lepus is the... You're talking about the, the yeah, bunny the rabbit big one. giant rabbits. And I have the Lepus. <laughs> big giant rabbits that right. were the best... <laughs> the best horror ever. Just because it's all these cute little bunnies hopping around. <laughs> Very true. All right, well, I think any conversation you have, unless it's starting, you're talking about movies, you know, at all. If your conversation goes into Night of the Lepus, you're done with it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, we didn't, we didn't get to, you know, Crazy Devil Baby, that other movie I made you watch. <laughs> Crazy Devil Baby. What the heck was that? I don't remember the name of it. It's that. Alive? Yeah, that's it. It's Alive. Anybody that likes really bad B-horror movie, look it up fantastic baby that just makes this horrible noise and kills everybody. Yep. All right. Say goodnight, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at Stitcher.com or in the App Store. It was the dawn of the third age of comics, 15 years after the rise of the Comics Code Authority. The Bronze Age was a dream given form. Its goal? To portray superheroes in a way that was socially relevant by tackling real-world issues. It's a catch-all, a place to explore monsters, demons, gunslingers, gods, and superheroes alike. Writers and artists wrapped in house styles of sophisticated realism, creating the stuff of legends. There is no assurance of quality, but it's our last best hope for comic books. This is a retrospective of the true golden age. 
The year is 1970. The name of the podcast, Uncovering the Bronze Age. Tune into our feed for regular content at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Also home to the Quarterbin Podcast and the Shortbox Showcase. That's all for this time. I hope you enjoyed this episode as we pop back into the lives of Captain Marvel and Rick Jones. Special thanks this episode goes to Brian Zeno for doing the voice of the Watcher. Before I forget, I have two guest appearances on other podcasts that are out now. If you want to hear them, go to the podcast that goes snicked, episode 283, where I help Jason cover Wolverine, the Jungle Adventure, by Walt Simonson and Mike Magnolia. And I'm also on Is It Jaws, episode 48. That's Paul Spataro's movie review podcast. It's me and all the guys from Back to the Bins talking Infinity War. Yes, again. That should keep you busy for a bit. Just find them in the show notes. And then come back next episode as John and I go over Strange Tales 181, where Adam will encounter 1,000 Clowns. See you next time. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. Straight read. Our world and we are ancient, Marvel. Ages agone, we found perfection in life, immortality. Your watcher's father declared it our duty to aid those less fortunate. I, Emu, opposed such generosity, for selfish reasons. And so was outvoted. We traveled to a distant planet and presented its people with the atom to heat their homes and cure their sick. But once we left, they perverted their gift and turned it toward power and war. In time, we returned and beheld the result of our pretending to be gods. Though my reason had been wrong, I had been terribly right. And then and there, we all swore never again to interfere with others. This is not the conduct of a watcher. Weird Dramatic Read Our world and we are ancient, Marvel. Ages agone we found perfection in life, immortality. Your watcher's father declared it our duty to aid those less fortunate. I... Emu opposed such generosity for selfish reasons, and so was outvoted. 
We traveled to a distant planet and presented its people with the atom to heat their homes and cure their sick. But once we left, they perverted their gift and turned it toward power and war. In time, we returned and beheld the result of our pretending to be gods. Though my reason had been wrong, I had been terribly right. And then and there, we all swore never again to interfere with others. This is not the conduct of a watcher.